Good morning. This morning's scripture verse is from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The next day there was a wedding celebration in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, and Jesus' mother turned to Jesus and said, They have no more wine. Dear woman, that is not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars that were used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants to fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, Take and dip the cup. Take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. And when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants did, he called the bridegroom over and he said, A host always serves the best wine first. And then when everyone has had a lot to drink, serves the least expensive wine. But not you. You have served the best, kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time that Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Brian. Good morning. Good to be with all of you. Um, So I mentioned in the children's moments that my daughter is currently in Disney World. She's in Orlando trying to get to Disney World. They had a rough ride over there. The bus blew a tire. They sat on the side of the interstate. Then the bus leaked oil. And they sat on the side of the interstate again. And they finally, they left at 6 a.m. yesterday. She called me at 3.45 a.m. and said, Mom, we just got to the hotel. So mom wasn't sleeping real well, and mom was awake at 3.45. So this is one of those mornings where that saying, I just need a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus comes, comes into play right here. It's a whole lot of Jesus this morning, uh, but I'm, I'm really glad to be with all of you. And I will also add that last Sunday, Julie Collins did an amazing job preaching for us, an amazing job, and... If you are not here and you didn't get to hear it, you can go to the podcast and listen to it. And I would encourage you to do that because it was a really great message. And this morning, we're still going to be in the Gospel of John, but we're backing up from where Julie was in chapter 5 last Sunday to chapter 2 this week. And we've got this event uh, where Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding celebration. But here's what John does. He doesn't call it a miracle. What did I say in the children's moments? He calls it a what? A sign. And what does a sign do? Points to something else, right? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We want to look at this passage and and ask ourselves, what is this, why is this a sign? Why is this more than a one-time miraculous event? What is it pointing to? What is John trying to to get uh, to us to understand about who Jesus is, about his purpose and his mission, and about who we are as a result of that and what we're called to do? Um, in light of all of that. So that's our goal for today. Uh, So we're in John 2, and and here's here's what we're told. We've got this wedding celebration going on. Jesus is there. His disciples are there. His mother is there. And very quickly, we are presented with the problem. 
the wine has run out. The wine has run out. Now look, this uh, meant something completely different in their time and in their culture than it does in our time and in our culture. Because when we hear that, we hear, well, dang, the party's over soon, right? But that's not what it meant. That is not what it meant to them during this time. So um, let me just walk us through this. Uh, First of all, um, Jewish marriages were a hugely significant event in in the the Jewish life okay Um, from betrothal until the actual marriage ceremony that time period could be a year long it could be more than a year long okay so what would happen um, was that the couple became betrothed and the groom actually at that point entered into a contractual agreement a covenantal commitment with his bride and with the bride's family um, if you'll remember in our in our story of Mary and Joseph when Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant right and he's thinking about divorcing her but they weren't married yet they were in that betrothal period right so he has entered the the bridegroom enters into a contractual agreement a covenant agreement with the bride and with her family and he actually pays money he pays a bride price to the bride's family so here he is he's in a covenant agreement he's paid a price for his bride and then after this what would happen is the bridegroom would then leave And he would go back to his father's house and he would add on a room at his father's house where he and his new bride would live. Now, while he was gone, the bride had some responsibilities. Her responsibility was remain faithful to her bridegroom. Um, She didn't know when he was going to return. In fact, the bridegroom didn't know when he was going to return. Only the father knew when the bridegroom would go back because the father would look at his work and then he would decide, yep, you're finished. Go get your bride. Think about that when Jesus said, I'm leaving, and only the Father knows the time. I don't even know. We'll get to that in just a second. Seeds. Okay, so he would leave. He would go, and he would prepare this room, prepare this place. The bride would wait. While the bridegroom was gone, I also discovered that many times, or if not all the time, he would have a friend, a close friend, who would stay nearby to where the bride was who could help her out if she needed assistance, also probably provided some accountability for her during that time period of waiting. Um, and so that's, that was all going on during this betrothal period. Um, um, and so the actual marriage celebration came at the end of that long period. And then the marriage celebration itself could last up to a week long hugely significant event in the life of the people here. So here we are finally in our story at the marriage celebration. We are involved in this thing. The bridegroom's responsibility continues on in the marriage celebration that he's responsible for making sure they have everything they need for this celebration to last as long as it needs to. That's part of his covenantal agreement, contractual agreement. So when we find out that the wine has run out, it is more than just the end to a good time. This could be hugely embarrassing for the family, but also the bridegroom could be liable financially for not holding up his end of the bargain, of the contract. Would you guys like to switch and do things like that now? You're laughing, I guess not. Anyway, 
So that's, I just wanted you to understand what this meant, why Mary was interjecting herself there, because it was a big deal, okay? All right, so here we are, running out of wine. Mary approaches Jesus, and his response to her is, Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. It's a little different from the translation we heard from the New Living translation that Brian read. And I just, can I take a little side route over here for a second and address this phrase because I really don't want that to trip us up. I've heard so many people say, why is Jesus being so rude? Why is he so rude? Cause woman, that's not my problem. Okay, so so our translation's a little little difficult there, really. Um, it's better that to translate it as what to me and you. It was a kind of a phrase that said, um, why are you speaking of this problem to me? With you, I understand it. Tell me something I don't know. Like, I get it, you know. Um, But when he addresses her as woman, absolutely not being disrespectful to her. In John 19, when Jesus is on the cross in the worst pain of his life, he does the most respectful thing for Mary that he ever could, sets his pain aside. He looks at her, and as firstborn son who has a responsibility for caring for his mom when the father's gone, he looks at John, he looks at Mary, he says, Woman, behold your son, behold your mother. He's basically saying, You are going to care for my mom now. Totally not disrespectful. It's not the way we talk in our language, but it was not disrespectful in there. And Jesus is also not blowing off the problem because he acted in the situation. So if there was a reason why he shouldn't, or if it was against the Father's will, he wouldn't have done it. So these are just some things that I think can keep us from tripping up and think Jesus is kind of being rude there. But Mary obviously didn't take it that way because she immediately turns to the servants and she tells them, Do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. Now, who did I say earlier was responsible for making sure everything was there for this wedding celebration? The bridegroom, okay? So let's look at this. Mary has just told the servants to listen to Jesus in a way that places him in the position of the bridegroom. He is now in the position of the authority that the bridegroom would have in this situation. He was a guest at first. Now he's more than a guest. And the servants are told, you listen to him. You listen to him now. And so nearby, we're told there's these six stone water jars. They were for the Jewish rites of purification. That one used, but they were huge. And they hold like 20 to 30 gallons each. So Jesus says, you know what? Go fill those jars with water. Servants do it. And he says, now draw some out and take it to the host, to the uh, chief steward. They do it. Gets to him. He tastes it. That water is not water. It is wine. And the chief steward goes straight to the bridegroom, pats him on the back. Why? Because he was the one that, right, that was his job, to provide the wine. That was his job. So he pats him on the back. He's like, you've done what nobody does. Nobody does this. You have saved the best for last. You, you've done something amazing here. Good job. And John says that what Jesus had done here, it was a sign. And you know what? Who saw it? Jesus knew, right? Mary, his disciples, 
and the servants, and that was it. It was just really low-key thing, but he says when his disciples, like they saw it, they believed. They believed, and it was a sign that points to something else. It was a sign for them, and it is a sign for us. Now, just real quick, um, I wanted you to get a picture of how much wine that he provided. So if we average those jars out to about 25 gallons each, and there's six of them, that's 150 gallons of wine. That would be like 750 bottles of wine. Like an abundance of wine. And what else? Do you know what wine represents to the Jewish people? It represents joy. So Jesus has just produced an abundance of joy in the middle of what should have been a joyous celebration and was, but could have turned in to something else. And Jesus' presence brings out an abundance of joy for them. So, Jesus is our bridegroom. Okay, this is one of the things that I want you guys to see this pointing to. Jesus is our bridegroom. He has paid a great price for us. We, the church, are his bride. And he has gone ahead of us to his father's house to prepare a place for us. And he will be coming back to receive us so that we can be where he is. I mean, this is the imagery that God has chosen to use to explain the relationship that he wants to have uh, between us and him. It is of the bridegroom and a bride and a marriage feast. It is all over scripture. It is a beautiful, beautiful image. Listen, listen, for instance, Jesus says this in John 14, 1 through 3. He says, when he's telling them he's got to leave right before he's crucified, and they're like, why are you leaving? Why would you go away? He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus has taken the role of the bridegroom. He has gone away, but you know what? He's left his friend with us, his bride. He has left the Holy Spirit with us, our guide, our helper, our friend, the one who convicts us to stay faithful and to press on and stay committed to the relationship until he comes back. He is our bridegroom. We, the church, are betrothed to Christ. And we are waiting expectantly for that wedding feast to happen. We are waiting for that day. And in that time while we're waiting, we are to remain awake and we are to remain passionate and we are to build his church and we are to share the story about who he is and how much he loves us so that more people can come and be a part of his church and be uh, wedded with him, so to speak, upon his return, to be in that relationship with him that he so desires to have with the world. We have the responsibility to remain faithful, to be awake, and to be passionate while we wait on him. And one thing this means for us is that we need 
to be open to new possibilities that Jesus wants to do in and through us. So for instance, in our passage, um, the servants were challenged to think outside the box, to be obedient to Jesus, even when it didn't seem to make any sense, when he asked them to go and use those ceremonial water jars. Those jars were used for Jewish purification rites. They were definitely not for serving wine, but... It was through the servant's willingness to listen to Jesus and their obedience to do whatever he told them that then Jesus was able to do a new thing and to bring a a blessing of abundant joy into the situation. And so one thing that says clearly to me is this, that if we will experience a new work of the Spirit. Um, If we as individuals want a faith that stays awake and alive and passionate and is life-giving, if we as a church, um, as a local church, as this congregation, want to have a vibrant, growing congregation that experiences a fresh move of the Spirit among us, we must listen to Jesus through the voice of his Holy Spirit. We must be obedient to do whatever he calls us to do. We must be open to new ways of doing things. And so that means that complacency, doing the same things the same ways because we've always done it that way, because it's easy and comfortable, it is just not a choice. That is just not a choice on the table. What if those servants had refused to do what Jesus had asked? What if they had said, you know, those aren't used for that? Nope, that's for something else. That's not the way we do things here. We've never done it that way before. No, would they have missed all of the possibility that Jesus could have brought in that situation? Would they have missed the blessing? I think they would. They would have missed it. You know, I know that the Holy Spirit has worked and moved powerfully in many of your lives. I know some of your stories. I know some of the things God is doing even right now. I know that the Holy Spirit has worked and moved in powerful ways through this congregation. I know some of the stories. I have heard some of the things and I have seen it. But here is what I want to challenge us with today. We cannot coast along on the coattails of a past movement of the Holy Spirit and expect it to energize and fulfill us now or indefinitely. We cannot just put all our eggs in the basket of what God did in the past. We've got to ask for a fresh work now. Do something new. Do something now. In our time, Lord, in our generation, with me at this stage in my life, 
whatever that stage is, do a new thing now. So when I was 15, I had a really significant experience with Christ uh, while I was on a weekend retreat. And, And at that event, I knew that Christ was with me. I knew he was for me. Um, I knew that he had given everything for me. Um, I knew that. And you know what? I have never forgotten it. And that experience has shaped, like, everything about me since then. But in order for me to mature and grow in my faith, I have to be open to new ways that Christ wants to work in me, new things he wants to teach me, new ways he wants to challenge me and and push me out in my faith. I will not grow if I am content to just keep coasting along on that one past experience. It'll just turn into a story, kind of. Okay, so what is true for me is true for you, and what is true for all of us as individuals is true for the church. It is true for the body. We need to experience a fresh move, a new thing that God would want to teach us or do among us or work within us in this generation, or else, you know what we risk? Boredom. Is there anything worse than boredom? It is life-draining. You know, it is unexciting. We risk boredom. We risk falling into the trap of doing things just because we've always done them, participating in empty rituals that are not necessarily life-giving to anyone. We risk not making an impact in this community. We risk just being another church on the corner. Nobody wants to do that. It's boring. So what do we do? What do we do? We need to be prayerfully asking, what's next, Lord? What is next? What new thing would you do in me, Lord? If you are bored in your faith, if you are just humdrum and life with God and all this talk of Jesus is is like a side item in your life and it's just okay you need a new and fresh thing to happen inside of you because the Holy Spirit is not boring he is anything but boring he is exciting and he's passionate and he's life-giving and he wants to do that inside of you. So we need to be saying, Lord, what new thing would you do in me? What new thing, Lord, would you do in our church? Lord, do a new thing. Awaken us, Lord. New. You know, I just keep thinking about a couple of weeks ago, Todd, when you did your sermon, and, and Todd says that he prayed, Lord, give me a passion or give me a hunger or give me a desire for your word that will never go away. And his testimony is God did it. You know what that was a prayer of? Do a new thing in me. Do something new. 
Now, he knew specifically what he, what he wanted God to do. Maybe you do know. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you know exactly where you're bored, why you're bored, where your passion has fallen short. Maybe you have the ability to look at our congregation and see boredom spots and see apathy spots and just see complacency spots. And if that is your gift, you can speak out into those and say, let's ask God to do a new thing here. Let's don't be bored. Let's get excited. Let's ask him to give us a passion for something or someone. And let's make a difference and get excited about it. A new thing, a new experience for this time, for the needs that we see now. Even if it stretches us out of our comfort zone and it seems weird. Can we be brave to ask for that new thing to be done with us and then here's the other thing we're going to pray we're going to ask God to do anything but you know what we got to share our stories we've got to share our stories about how we are experiencing God at work in our lives tell your past stories great I've got some past stories they're good stories but you know what if all I'm ever telling is way back here and someone says what's he doing in your life now and I go uh give me a minute, I can come up with something. You know what I mean? I mean, like, we just need to think about that a little harder. Lord, what are you doing in my life right now? How can I give you some thanks and praise? But we need to tell our stories. You know, maybe you have had the wine has run out kind of an experience, and and you've experienced God being provider for you in a way that, that was unexpected or even miraculous. You know, share your story. How is he doing a work of healing in your life? How do you experience Christ as your help, your comfort, your friend? Our stories are powerful because when I hear your story of how God is at work in your life, it awakens something in me. It inspires me to be courageous and to trust God and to ask God for something, to do the same thing in my life that he's doing in your life. It reminds me what's possible when I place my trust in him. We need each other's stories. That'll keep us awake. That is inspiring. You know, that is exactly what the first disciples did. Jesus left and they went and told their stories. And the Holy Spirit came and he empowered them to do whatever it was that Jesus was leading them to do. This is how the church was born and this is how the church will continue to grow and thrive and and be captivating to new people. Nobody wants to come to our boring church. I'm not saying it's a boring church. I'm just saying, for instance, nobody wants to come to such and such boring church. I'll be like, Susan's called us boring. Okay, whatever. If I did, I did. If I didn't, I didn't. Whatever, you decide. But nobody wants to go to that church. Nobody's got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. I don't have time for that. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want, I want to be a part of whatever God is doing. And I want to do it with you because y'all are awesome. You're fun. 
It's way more fun when we're together. People want to come to that. Now, we are about to experience some newness starting next week with our new pastor rolling up in here, Bruce Case. Okay? So this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for us to say, you know what? Let's ask, let's pray. Let's be brave. Lord, do a new thing. Do a new thing. Um, You know, Bruce, uh, his first couple of weeks, for sure, he's going to be sharing his personal story, his faith story, his call story. He's going to be sharing with us what he believes about the local church and and just sharing with us about who he is. And that's going to help us get to know him, but it's going to inspire us, right? Because we hear other people's stories. It makes me trust. It helps me. Um, But here is my encouragement for all of us as we enter in to this new time with the new pastor. Don't put it all on him for new stuff to happen. Do not do that to him. It's not fair, okay? It's on us. It is on us to be prayerful. Lord, do a new thing in us. Do a new thing with us individually and as a collective whole here at Parkway Heights United Methodist Church. This is for us to listen. This is for us to participate and cooperate. And then we will see God do a new and exciting thing. And it may be something we have never even been able to imagine before. It'll be new and it'll be exciting. But if we do it together, it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. So that's my encouragement. Be praying that now. Get excited about what Bruce will bring to us. Look forward to that newness that he brings, but don't put it all on him. We are the church. We are the church. We are God's people. We are God's bride. And we have the responsibility to remain faithful and to remain committed and be obedient. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are, for entering into situations and bringing abundant joy, for making all things new, for taking something that was old and transforming it into something life-giving. Thank you, Lord. You always do that. That's who you are. It is the way you work. And thank you for being our bridegroom. Thank you for paying the price for us. Thank you that you will return. And thank you for sending your Holy Spirit so that we can be ready. May we listen. May we be obedient. And may we, may we be ready. Awaken us, Lord. Do a new thing in us. And may it all be pleasing and glorious in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.